Welcome to the Weekly Deep Dive Podcast on the Add-On Education Network, the podcast where we explore the weekly Come Follow Me discussion and try to add a little insight and unique perspective. I am your host, Jason Lloyd, here in the studio with my friend and this show's producer, Nate Pfeiffer. What's up? Nate, how you doing? I'm still here. That's how I'm doing, baby. (laughs) Rocking, Rocking the Carl Malone jersey. We went to the splash pad today with the kids. Nice. And then I came to work right after and been here ever since. So <laughs> I'm glad you got some time with the kids, though. Yeah, it was great. Sweet. Well, before we dive in, so this week we're Doctrine and Covenants 89 through 92. We're going to start right off with uh, Word of Wisdom as we, we dive into this. I think we've been waiting for that. I've been waiting all my life for this. <laughs> but before we dive in, there is one thing that is driving me crazy from last week. And that's, um, you'd asked me about Sirius and why it was so bright in the sky. And, and I and I believe my response, I'd have to go back and listen to it, was something along the lines of that it's because it's the closest to us. And, and yes, it is the closest star to us in the Northern Hemisphere, but technically it's not the closest star to us in the sky. That, that honor belongs to Proxima Centauri, and... And I, I, I just it drove me nuts that I that I said that the wrong way. So I don't. I mean, if anybody's <laughs> gonna be upset about that and stop listening because of that, then I don't know if I don't think you should worry too much about it. I don't think I don't think that they would have hung around for too much longer anyway. So I think you're probably okay. Oh, I'm not worried about upsetting people as much as I am about giving bad information. If I know I said something that wasn't quite accurate. I, I want to correct it or make sure that that it is accurate. That's all right. That's that's my more more my concern with it. It is um it is bright because of its proximity to us. It's just not the closest star to us. It, it's the closest star that we can see in the northern hemisphere, but it's not the, the 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 it's not because it's the closest star. But anyways, I just wanted to clear that up. Got it. Sweet. All right. Let's um let's go into it. Uh, we we do have word of wisdom. We're gonna dabble a little bit in the apocrypha, and then uh, we talk about the United Order. And there's some cool things in Doctrine and Covenants 90 that I just want to highlight. Let's do it. So one thing about the word of wisdom, I think a lot of us kind of grew up hearing about the word of wisdom and hearing about how, how great it was as far as ahead of its time. That the word of wisdom would be saying that these things are bad at a time when the people thought that those things were good, and it was prophetic in nature that way. At least that's how I understood it growing up. But there's been some research and a lot of things coming to light, I think, that kind of changes that narrative and challenges it a little bit, that the word of wisdom was actually a product of its time, which I think is pretty cool. Um the what what do they call it the 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 American Temperance Society was founded in 1826 so around the same time period you have this movement of people that felt like alcohol was bad and and they would sign uh, a commitment to abstain from alcohol so they had this temperance society that was rolling at the same time you had these people that were looking at the tobacco as kind of a dirty habit and and talking about the negative impacts that it had in several different ways, so the word of wisdom is a product from its time, and and I just want to 
go into that a little bit more for context. In the 1700s, hygiene, cleanliness, and how people lived is very different from from the 1900s. And the 1900s, you have this transition. And so in the 1800s is this period of time where it's pushing towards that transition. It's, it's where this is making its way. And, and to highlight that, for example, Louis XIV only took two baths in his adult life. Excuse me? Two baths. And the only reason he took those two baths is because they were doctor's orders. So he, he Wait, was... Wait, excuse me? Yeah. And, and the thing is, this is not uncommon. He, he wasn't the exception. This was a typical... This is how society was in the 1700s. Oh, my gosh. He had headaches, and the doctor said, maybe if you take a bath, it will help you with the headaches. He took the, he took the, the, the baths on the doctor's recommendations... The headaches didn't go away, so he never took a bath again for the rest of his life. (sighs) And it might Mm. surprise you, regular bathing did not happen until the 1900s. The world would have just been the stinkiest place, man. They they believed, at least it seemed like the the case was... I mean, maybe it'll give you a little bit of a, a, a better look in, in understanding that at least they changed their clothes. They, they felt I guess, like kind of. <laughs> they felt like if they had clean, especially the high class society, if they had white, the, the, the represents this cleanliness that they were able to always put on the clean white clothes. That the clothes would make them clean. It would pull all of the imperfections and the dirt from their skin. So they would change their clothes regularly, but they wouldn't bathe regularly. Just to give you a little bit of context. So in the mid-1800s, people started to bath occasionally. And it's not until you hit the 1900s that people start bathing, bathing regularly. So just a little bit of context here. I hate everything about what you just told me. <laughs> There's not a single piece of what you just told me that I like. <laughs> and, and think about this. Like, we we look at, so Doctrine and Covenants 89 is a revelation when they, they established a school of the prophets, and Joseph Smith is using this room to instruct people, but not only instruct people, but to receive revelations and to translate the scriptures. And in this room, he's using to translate, receive revelations from God. As the school of the prophets gathers together, everybody in the room would light up their pipes, and the smoke would get so heavy, you couldn't even see Joseph anymore. And, and when their pipes were burned out, then they would take tobacco, put it in their mouths, and then they would spend the rest of the time spitting on the floor. And so Emma would go in afterwards to try to clean up after them, and she's scrubbing the, the tobacco stains, and they're not coming out of the wood. It's permanently stained. And, and so she's, she's a little bit concerned about this and asks, what do we do? And, and Joseph Smith is concerned about this and, and prays and almost instantly receives this revelation, this guidance as, as far as tobacco, as far as drinking, as far as some other habits that, that people have. But we look at it at our time period and we see a, a dirty room filled with tobacco smoke and spit, and especially in light of COVID, right? It, it just seems like a no-brainer. Like, why would you do that in a room where it's supposed to be representing purity? But You've got to think the mindset is very different where they're working towards that. They're pushing towards change, but the change doesn't happen yet. And and to just give you a few more interesting stories, in 1849, so this is not long after 
uh, this revelation is what, 1832, 1833, I think, 32. So we're talking about 17 years later, John Snow publishes an article about disease spreading through water. Nobody believes him. They think he's an idiot. So they, and Nate, you've seen this. I, I know a lot of people have seen this. When you look at pictures of the medical doctors going back at the time of like the bubonic plague, and they're wearing these weird, like oh yeah, those bird masks. The or bird, the those bird masks. Sweet. Yeah, the idea is that you don't get sick from the water. You don't get sick from what you eat. You get sick from bad things in the air. And, and and that to to a certain degree is right. I mean, a, a lot of COVID's airborne and spreading. There are diseases that are airborne. So they would take this nose, the 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 bird mask, they would shove it full of incense and things to help purify the air or make it smell good. So that as they're breathing in, it would pull the air through there, and the incense would de- disinfect it all, and then it would keep the doctors healthy, right? So they believed that a lot of this was in the air, not in the water. They thought Jon Snow was, was, was not very smart. Um, but in 1854 in Soho, England, he gets kind of an opportunity to redeem himself. There's a huge cholera outbreak. We're talking over 600 people, 654 people, something like that, in this small town, the suburb of London. And they all get sick as, as John starts to do the work, because they were drinking out of the same well on, on Broad Street. And, and so he was tracking this very carefully. And he's, he, he's taking careful notes of everybody who gets sick, and he's trying to figure out where they got it from. And they all the, the one thing that everyone had in common was this well. And so he went to the officials and said, this is what's making everybody sick. We need to we need to shut down the well, and they didn't believe him. They 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 thought he was crazy, but just just for the sake of of proving him wrong, they take the handle off the well, and the outbreak stops instantly, like clears up, goes away, and and, and so he's like, okay, see, I, I I'm right, right? They still don't believe him. In fact, the uh, the board of health issues a report in which they say we see no reason to adopt this belief. Even, even after all of the evidence. And, and uh, Reverend Henry Whitehead says this has nothing to do with the drinking water. This has everything to do with God being mad at his people. And so he wanted to prove Jon Snow wrong. So he went out to do some research. They come to find out he finds that a, a, a mom had been rinsing or uh, cleaning diapers off into the well water where everybody had the cholera outbreak. Come on, Mom. And, <laughs> And the and, and there was one person they couldn't connect to the well that had gotten cholera that was like miles away, and they're like, "How did she get it then?" Well, come to find out, she grew up in that area. She really liked the well water, so she had a, a somebody bring her jars of that well, and so everything tied in. So the reverend ended up changing his mind and supporting Jon Snow. So it, it was hard to get people to buy into cleanliness or or that water and things that mattered. Um, Louis Pasteur and his idea of germ theory does not happen until 1861. Uh, we've already talked about this in regards to the Civil War. More people died from dysentery and, and sickness because their latrines were upstream from their water supply. This is the mindset of the people. It, 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 so as we look at this, it's very different. We, it, just, it just helps us get some context to this revelation. 
And and I'll just finish maybe two quick stories. So Ignaz Semmelweis, uh, I don't know if I'm saying that right. He's a young Hungarian doctor. Uh, he was wor- working in the obst- um, obstetrical ward of the Vienna General Hospital in the late 1840s. And he noticed a high death rate among his patients. He noticed that nearly 20% of the women under his and his colleagues' care in Division One of the ward died shortly after childbirth. And that the phenomenon came known to be known as the childbed fever. And then alarmingly, he noted that the death rate was four to five times higher than in Division Two, where you had female midwifery students. So he wanted to understand what's going on. How come 20% or nearly 20% of the women were dying in childbirth with this deathbed fever, this child fever? So... One day, him and his colleagues are working, trying to do some autopsies and see what's going on. His colleague cuts his finger on a scalpel, and uh, he thinks no big deal. But then the co- the colleague gets the childbed fever, and even though he didn't deliver a baby, because of the infection of the wound on his finger, and his colleague dies. And so the doctor's a little bit freaked out and says, okay, here's what we're going to start doing. We're going to start washing our hands. Okay. Okay. This is this is the 1840s. Before that, they weren't washing oh their hands. Gosh, man. Yeah. So they said we're going to start washing our hands regularly, and the mortality rate dropped from 18.3 percent in the maternity ward to 1.3 percent. That's crazy. Nearly 20 percent of women died in childbirth at this time period simply because doctors weren't washing their hands. And uh, our president, James Garfield, died, not from the bullet. In fact, they say that the bullet itself, if they would have just left him alone and not operated and not touched him, he would have survived the shooting. But because you had over 12 doctors that never washed their hands, sticking their fingers in the wound, trying to get the bullet out, it was later blood poisoning and infection that killed him. So when they took his, um, the assassin, Charles um, Guito, and, and he, he got hung for shooting the president. But in his defense, he said, the doctors killed Garfield. I just shot him. I mean, I, he's right, <laughs> I guess, right? But it's, isn't that a great line? Doctors killed him. I just shot the man. I mean, it's not is, like I did anything wrong. That is fantastic, like, any last words. <laughs> I got something. It's great. Yeah, so that's, that's kind of the setting. We're going through this transitionary period. We're, we're going from from where people didn't wash their hands regularly. They didn't do things to where they started to care. They started to bathe regularly. They're learning about germ theory. They're starting to wash their hands. But they're also starting to look down on alcohol. You have these abstinent groups. You start to look back at this al- um, the, the tobacco use. So it is very much a product of its times. And where I think that is significant, and I guess the point I'm trying to drive to this before we dive into the details is you look at a lot of the revelations and prophecies in the Bible, and they are about war. You look at the Book of Mormon and how much of that is about war, but you look at Isaiah and he's prophesying what's going to happen with the Assyrians, what's going to happen with the Babylonians. And and it's kind of cool when we're talking about some of these other revelations, it's not we're prophesying that America is going to be destroyed. We're not going to prophesy. I mean, yeah, we do have the war prophecy, but I think we're transitioning into this period of peace where the Lord is saying, okay, let's, 
people are starting to think more about quality of life. People are starting to think more about, is there an afterlife? And you have these revelations like Doctrine and Covenant 76, or where people have time to not, they don't have to worry about fighting every year. They can start to read the scriptures and ponder and, and intellectual, this, this, this movement, industrial revolution, all these things are going to start coming in and the revelations are, are in a sense, product of their time. And, and you, you get revelation based on what you're thinking about, what you're worried about, what you're concerned about, what you have time to think about. And, and so if you want to know something about the scriptures, if you want to understand something about God's plan, I guess what I'm saying is take time to ponder about it. Take time to think about it because the revelations are oftentimes products of the time we put into it or the thoughts, the concerns, or what's, what's on our mind at the time. All right, sorry, that was a that was a long to do. Let's dive into this. Um, first off, in in the in the word of wisdom, and and how we interpret it today is this idea that we don't drink alcohol, right? But the word of wisdom definitely was not a prohibition against alcohol, and, and I think that's. It's a statement I think people might have issues with or maybe might not fully understand. The Word of Wisdom says no strong drinks, but it approves mild drinks. And not only that, but when they talk about grain and they talk about barley specifically, they say that barley is for mild drinks. And what's considered a mild drink, beer is considered a mild drink. And so as I read the word of wisdom and I look at this and try to understand it, purely from a literal sense of what it is telling us, I understand the word of wisdom to be prohibit, uh, prohibiting liquor in the sense of uh, of whiskey, something that's strong alcoholic content, but actually approving of beer, wine, and some things that, that are more more mild in nature. Mm. And And not only that, if you look at Joseph Smith's journal, he talks about sharing a beer with people. Did you know that? I did not know that. So a lot of times the story we hear growing up is about how he was a young boy and he wouldn't drink the alcohol to numb the pain when yeah. they were operating on his leg. But but truth be told, Joseph Smith would, would occasionally share a beer. He, he would drink, and in Carthage jail... At the end, when their spirits were dampened, they brought wine in, not not as a sacrament, but to to lift their spirits, to try to to try to help them feel a little bit better about their situation and where they were. So this was definitely not a, a an, an abstinence, a complete prohibition against alcohol, and and not only against alcohol, but against even tea and coffee. When we talk about strong drinks, and strong drinks is defined as tea and coffee. Even after the word of wisdom, Emma Smith was was host to a hotel. When people would come and visit, traveling from wherever they were traveling from, and usually weary, she would give them tea. And and tea has caffeine in it. It's a it's a stimulant. It's a mild stimulant. So again, we talk about strong drinks versus mild drinks. These mild stimulants are supposed to be used for medicinal purposes. And. and it's, it's, it's an interesting question because caffeine, according to the World Health Organization, the WHO, right, is defined as an addictive substance. 
And, and it is defined as mind-altering because of what it does to stimulate and to get our, our bodies going and reacting. If you're taking it in mild doses because you've been traveling, because you're tired, that's one thing. But if you're forming an addictive habit where you're drinking it all the time, it becomes a different thing entirely. And I think a lot of the word of wisdom is trying to draw a very fine line between substance abuse versus medicinal purposes. Is the reason why you're drinking wine or alcohol, is it is it for occasional purposes like celebrating weddings? Is it occasional purposes like you're feeling really down, you just need something to lift your spirits? Or is it something you know mild that way? versus are you drinking all the time are you are you doing this to numb yourself against are you addicted is this a destructive thing and, and that's kind of the distinction the word of wisdom has changed over time but as you read it and you try dive into these passages very literally it is extremely different from what we practice today in the church mm. if that if that makes any sense it at totally all. makes sense I, I think that I think that the way that we practice it is I mean, it's hilariously different than what the actual text says. It is. Yeah, and as you read through it, and if you read through this and you feel like there's a disconnect... Um, I do. <laughs> don't... You're, you're right. It, it is different from what it is today. And, and in fact, so people would take this, and, and you always have... So I guess I'm going to talk about two extremes today. You always have one group of people that try to, to lash on to everything and, and take it to the extreme, the overzealous, if you will, the overzealous crowd that say, okay, they said we shouldn't be doing this. This means that we should never do this and try to push it on everyone saying, if you really love God, you're not going to do this at all. Okay, And, and that group of people came to, to Brigham Young. So in 1860, Brigham Young said this, some of the brethren are very strenuous upon the word of wisdom and would like to have me preach upon it and urge it upon the brethren and make it a test of fellowship. I do not think I shall do so. I have never done so. And then in 1871, Brigham Young says, the observance of the word of wisdom or interpretation of God's requirements on this subject must be left partially with the people. We cannot make laws like the Medes and the Persians. We cannot say you shall never drink a cup of tea, or you shall never taste of this, or you shall never taste of that. That was the mindset of Brigham Young, saying this is not a law dictating that you can't do this, you can't do that. This is, it's left up to individuals. And, and kind of similar, I think, to, to marriage, right? You will not find in the handbook or anywhere a, a, a list of what you can or cannot do with your spouse as, as it, within the, the bonds of matrimony. That is left partially up to you to know what you should do, what feels right for you. And what feels right or what you're comfortable with for one couple may be different from another. But are you, are you, I, I mean, we could, we could go into all detail there, but I think, I think Brigham Young says it really well must be left partially with the people to know what they should do and leave it to the people to make, to make their minds. So that's, that's one extreme, right? You've got the overzealous that are pushing to make everybody follow it here. On the other extreme, I think we have people 
that that say that it's it's medicinal or or try to justify doing it a little when in actuality it's it's more for enjoyment more for something that they're abusing trying to take it to the opposite extreme where they justify I'm going to do this just a little for this when what they really mean is I, I I've got a problem. I'm I'm addicted and I keep going and this is a it's a very destructive and how I use this. But I'm under the guise of medicinal or under the guise of I'm just doing it a little bit. They they engage in that destructive pattern, that destructive behavior. So that being said, I will say this. In the 1800s, Going back to to our discussion about cholera in the water, alcohol was very good at killing bacteria and neutralizing viruses. If you would have prohibited any alcoholic drink, it could have potentially been a death sentence for some people at that time. Knowing that they're ingesting as much bacteria, cholera, whatever the case may be, that could cause sickness and illness. We live in a different time today than what they lived there. And I think we've had this conversation a little bit before, Nate, when we talk about heavy machinery operating vehicles. Uh, we, we have, you know, driving 2,000-pound vehicles 60 miles an hour down the road where we could potentially take a life yeah. with, this, with a small mistake is not something that they had to deal with back then. And the impacts of alcohol or impairing your judgment when you're operating machinery in, in today's world is very different. Also, I think we live a very wealthy lifestyle, and not just wealthy as far as money goes, but wealthy regarding time. We have disposable income that we can buy as much alcohol as we want, where back then, you're taking your grapes, you're fermenting them, or you're making it, or you're buying it, and you don't make a ton of money to to blow on alcohol, and you don't have a ton of time between trying to su- support your family and do everything that you needed to do. The drinking in excess back then, I don't think is near the problem that it is today for our society. That's so, a good point. Yeah, when you consider when you consider the excess of time, the excess of disposable income, the heavy machinery, and you look at the time period we live in now, I, 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 I agree with the church in, in taking this word of wisdom and interpreting it differently through modern prophets today in a way that makes sense for us. This revelation might not have started off as a prohibition against alcohol, but again, if we go to the very beginning of it, it talks about the word of wisdom not being meant just for its time. It says, um, in verse 2, to be sent greeting not by commandment or constraint, but by revelation and the word of wisdom showing forth the order and will of God and the temporal salvation of all saints in the last days. Uh, given as a, a principle, it says, in verse 4, Behold, verily, thus saith the Lord unto you, in consequence of evils and designs which do and will exist in the hearts of conspiring men in the last days, I have warned you and forewarn you. So I think definitely a portion of this is very prophetic in nature and that the word of wisdom was designed first as counsel to help people in a time period where they were making these adjustments from a time of, 
of different hygiene, different health conditions to where we're going to be adapting a, a different standard, a different council, different. And, and that's where modern prophets come in to interpret it differently and to, to, to take it to a different level. Doesn't it feel like it just in general needs to be kind of updated though? <sighs> that's a great question. And <laughs> I'm just saying as a general, like the, the first presidency writes a thing saying, Hey, this totally like what you just said, this this is exactly the circumstances in which this was written. And the principle of don't do anything that you're going to sacrifice your agency to still applies. And here is the updated list of, okay, cool, this is this is being focused on and this is being neglected or, you know, I mean, the word of wisdom says we're all eating too much meat. It does. And we're all eating it in the wrong season. I'm saying there's so many things like that even that you're just like, cool. I mean, if that's the case, like, tell us, right? Like, maybe maybe that is true and we need to for, focus more time on that. Instead, we focus on we shouldn't be drinking coffee, but yet all of these um, synthesized opioids that I'm taking for, you know, well, I started taking for a pain issue, but now I'm completely reliant on this heroin, basically, the synthesized heroin. Well, a doctor prescribed it, so uh, I guess that works. Mm -hmm. But this coffee, though... Or this green tea, you know, like, be careful, this green tea has caffeine in it, but don't worry, your Adderall and your, you know, whatever that you're now completely addicted to, that's okay, because a doctor said it was okay. Well, and your tea and coffee have, like, what, 20, 30, maybe 40 milligrams of, of caffeine? Yeah. <laughs> and, and then you start comparing that to your energy drinks. That's that what I'm saying. That didn't exist back then. That, this is my point. You're, you're, you're saying exactly what I'm saying, which is, and by the way, this is coming from somebody who, I mean, other than I drink a lot of caffeine, but that's just because I like the taste of Diet Dr. Pepper and Diet Coke, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I don't have, strangely enough, like the withdrawal stuff when I am just like on my, I'm drinking water for the next three months. You know how sometimes like you can get the headaches and stuff, you know? Luckily, I guess I've never, you know, had that part of it. Whatever. Needless to say, I don't do drugs recreationally. I don't do any of that stuff. I don't do drugs at all, right? I don't even like taking pain medicine because I have a feeling I would actually like it too much, and I just know myself well enough to not do that, right? So I'm saying I'm, I'm prefacing this with I have no – I'm personally not, like, trying to justify this for my own reasoning, right? Right. But what I will say is God created certain plants that have certain medicinal properties to them. Uh-huh. Certain pain medicine, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. Certain pain um, uh, numbing properties and things like that, right? And certain certain properties that, on in a very natural, non-addictive way, do help uplift your mood. Do help, you know what I mean? Like, do help with depression. Do help with anxiety. Do help with all those things, right? It feels weird that it's like those are all of the banned substances, right? <laughs> And then you have things that are so much more extreme and created in a lab somewhere that are highly addictive, that completely mess with your brain, like completely just scramble it from a chemical standpoint. But because a doctor prescribed it, 
well, I guess that's okay. That's that's not that's not getting your temple recommend taken away. You know, it's not on it's not on the list. It's not on the list for those for those questions, right? Well, it's 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 crazy because we talk about uh, you and I think have had this conversation before that part of the reason why the Blitzkrieg was so incredibly successful in Germany. Was because it's part of the soldiers' rations. They were hopping them up, right? They were giving them methamphetamine. That's exactly right. They were hopping them up. Yeah, and, and, and so here you have the government, it, not just the soldiers, but this was being prescribed or available to the public as as a stimulant to help people stay awake or give them energy. And here you are giving it to all these soldiers, and they're all hopped up. To your point on methamphetamine, one of these terrible substances. So if you can't always rely on 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 current understanding of medical or you know the opioid crisis as you've mentioned it today and where does that come from and where is it most prevalent <laughs> you know what i mean i'm just saying if we're going to be honest here what state has a major 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 issue with prescription um drug abuse drug abuse utah the state the state where we judge people if they drink coffee it's, 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 it's just saying, man. a little ironic, isn't it? It's, well, it's, it's sad because, again, I think that you've already said this, and I would like to, again, reemphasize. I, I, I know, I, I, luckily I avoid all of these things because, again, I just have a feeling I would like them all too much, right? Mm-hmm. But, but what I will say is that is the principle underlining the whole thing is correct, which is, with, with all commandments, by the way, right? Which is, don't give up your agency to something else. I love that statement that I think underscores the whole purpose of this. Of every commandment. And, and, and if we're on the lines of don't give up your agency, and, and we talk about the word of wisdom, maybe something that's not mentioned in the word of wisdom because they had no problem with it back then that should be mentioned today is exercise. Oh my goodness! I mean, if we're going to talk about just being healthy, because in the word of wisdom, the whole thing is is so that you'll be able to run and not be weary, right? Well, yeah, walk and not faint. Walk and not faint. I mean, I don't do drugs, but guess what? I am addicted to nice meals with friends a lot. What's true? And And DoorDash when I'm working late at night. And and when your life depends on you chopping a cord of wood or clearing out. I mean, exercise is the yeah. last thing you need to tell people to do. Yeah. And the obesity rate in the early Americans, extremely low. But well, you look at it, it today, they, excess of disp- disposable income, yes. excess of time, and, and the readiness of, of, of food. And you look at the society we live in, what are we sacrificing or giving up? What liberties or freedoms are we losing because because heart failure, cardio problem. Oh, we, yeah. can't, we can't do what we used to do. We can't play with our kids. That's we my can't... whole point is that it's not even, it's not even, it's not even the, well, I'm going to get sick and I'm going to get cancer or diabetes and I'm going to die early. It's like, no, I'm terrified of those things too. Don't get me wrong. But what sucks is when I go home to play with the kids and they're like, okay, dad, let's wrestle. And I'm like, well, I got these weird issues with my lower back because I'm I'm uh, quite a bit overweight and I need to, you know, and I haven't been running as much as I used to because my knee's all jacked up. It's like, but it's all these things. And, and again, like, I'm the most blessed person in the world as far as, like, I get to do what I want for a living. But part of that is I sit down in a chair for 12 to 15 hours a day. The only breaks that we get are to walk over to, you know, So Delicious and grab a beverage or go, you know what I mean? Go grab some tacos at Kieromas or order food. It's like it's like we eat and sit down all day. 
you look at somebody in my position who I don't drink coffee, I don't I don't do drugs, I don't do whatever. It's easy then to go, oh yeah, okay, yeah, I guess you're living the word of wisdom. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right, man. It's like I'm not I'm not I'm not naive enough to lie to myself about this. But the thing is, is like, well, because none of it's explicitly written out in in you know Doctrine and Covenants eighty nine from the middle of the 1800s. And I think that's why the church still hesitates defining it today. Because, I mean, you talk about it. Yes, they, they define tea and they define coffee, and they say we're, we're no alcohol. But you, you see that there's still a lot of ambiguity to it. And even in the Temple Recommend question, you don't say, do you smoke? Do you drink? Do you drink coffee? Do you occasionally do this? But don't you, they ask you if they, it's the they, word of wisdom as stated in Doctrine and Covenants? Isn't that, isn't that, I, 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 I may be totally wrong about this, but for some reason in my mind, isn't that the question? That's a good question. Is, do you, do you, do you live, or do you practice the word of wisdom as stated in Doctrine and Covenants 89? I might be totally wrong about yeah, this, I think by you the way. might be right, actually. And, and I, I, that's the thing is how you define it. Because if you live it according to Doctrine and Covenants 89, if that is the definition, then an occasional beer. And we eat too much meat. <laughs> and we eat too much meat in the wrong season. <laughs> in, in the wrong season, and, and and you can almost balance that a little bit earlier on in, in in Doctrine and Covenants. It does say that the animals are given for man in abundance, but it also says only in times of scarcity, and 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 it mentions specifically winter time. You should be. It just feels like that we're in such a perfect time in history to go. Okay. Look, missionaries go out there with like cell phones and iPads. One of my one of my sisters in law was telling me a story about it was like her nephew or somebody that their whole mission went and saw like Toy Story or something in the theaters or some they they went and saw a movie like their whole mission went and saw a movie in the theaters right uh-huh. and of course like I'm hearing this and I'm just like losing my mind I'm just like are you kidding me I'm like I thought the whole point of doing going out there was to was to not call home every week. And to not have a Facebook page and to, you know what I mean? To like disconnect from all those things and hyper-focus. But then you have to go, okay, well, is the, is the idea we're going, okay, we're going to take away way less of the detailed, super hyper-specific um, guidelines. And what we're going to do is now, which in my opinion we should have done forever ago, is... We're going to allow people the chance to really, actually, truly have to live a higher law, which is harder, by the way, because we're not going to tell you any specifics. Look, if you're addicted to that cup of coffee in the morning, then you should know better, and we're going to ask you, are you addicted to something that is that is altering your mind? Instead of, are you drinking coffee and tea? And instead go, what are you addicted to substance-wise that you're giving your agency to, right? Like, I'm just saying it's like we're, it, we're, we're doing this with so many other things. It just feels like now would be such a perfect time to go. We're going to take away the, the stipulations of coffee, tea, meat, whatever those things. And what we're going to say is your body's a temple. Are you treating it as such? What are you doing to be healthier? What are you doing to run and not be weary? 
what are you doing to clean up the storehouse so you don't have smoke and tobacco stains, That's but exactly rather your body right. is as, as a temple That's where the exactly God can right. reside. That's exactly right. It just feels like we're, it would just be, I'm hoping that it happens because I just feel like we're, with so many other changes we're making like this, now's just such a perfect time to go, hey, maybe, maybe that CBD oil is actually way better for you than that synthesized heroin. Yeah, it might make you feel like, okay, cool, I feel a little bit better now, but it's non-addictive, unlike that synthesized heroin. It'll help you with your pain, and it's from the earth. It's from a plant that God created. And it's not born in a factory somewhere. I'm just saying there's so many little things, but hey, but if you're using that as a crutch, then you shouldn't be doing it. If you're using it as a as a as an escape from your problems, you shouldn't be doing it. Or if you're in extreme amounts of pain and you don't want to be taking meth prescribed by your doctor, but you do want to take some of this some of this extract from a plant <laughs> that God created and is very natural and very non-addictive and doesn't have all those crazy side effects as all those other things. Cool, that makes sense. Man, you've lived a really great life and you died and you go up to heaven and God puts his arm around you and says, man, you lived such a great life. But man, you really loved drinking green tea. I'm sorry, I can't let you in. Like, it, This just doesn't make sense to my brain. Yeah, it didn't make sense to a lot of people's brain in the early days of the church, like Brigham Young saying, we are not going to be prescribing this. We're not going to be... It, it's are we at that place or not? Am I totally off base on this, Jason? No, I don't think you're off base on this. I, I think, and, and we can add to it. I mean, you look at, you want to talk about addictive behaviors, and not just addictive, but addictive, destructive behaviors. Uh, look at look at video games. Yeah. Look at pornography. And I'm not saying that, that, that video games are bad and that we should ban all video games. They, everything in its time, everything in its season, everything within moderation, everything that you can control, do you have your freedom or does something else have your freedom? Are you a slave to that game? Does that keep you up till three in the morning to where you're not able to perform your job or function and you're robbing time from from whatever organization you're working in because you can't give it your all? Are you robbing your family of what you could be providing them with because you're addicted to something that keeps you away from them? It doesn't have to be coffee. It doesn't have to be alcohol. There's a lot of different things here. And to your point, the word of wisdom is how do we maintain our freedom and how do we keep ourselves in a state or condition that we can receive revelations, that we can go back to what they were using that upper room for, translating the scriptures. It's diving into the scriptures, understanding the scriptures, and receiving inspiration from God. Isn't that what we do? Our responsibility is to study the scriptures, to learn from the scriptures, and receive revelation. Are there is there anything in the way we live our life that would be hindering that or or slowing that down that we could clean up and do better at? And, and to answer your question, so I've got the temple recommend question right here. Do you understand and obey the word of wisdom? And and that's a loaded question. No. <laughs> that's that's a loaded question. No, and maybe, I think. And, and it's a hard thing to understand. I th- hard but easy. 
And 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 why doesn't the church come out and say this is exactly what it is in every case? I think you go right back to what Brigham Young said. I think partial responsibility has to be on the person to understand what that looks like and what that means to them. To to apply to potentially video games, to potentially pornography, to potentially other addictive behaviors. And 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 you know yourself, or at least I hope you do, you should, right? If if you if you are occasionally drinking a beer, and 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 yet you're using this as a as an excuse to be able to continually drinking, it, it, I don't know. I don't I don't want to give anyone a free pass. Yeah, that's that was what I'm saying. That's tough. But the thing here's the thing too. Like, look, I'm on the team, man. I'm part of the team. I'm gonna continue to do it as I'm gonna continue to do this as we are instructed to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to drink any beer. I'm not going to ever. But I will say this. I'm not going to judge anybody. That's And that's the point <laughs> I want to get like, to. Dude, I'm going to let people live and let live, man. I, I'm going to do my thing and the best that I understand. But that that's so funny. That's That question's even gnarlier than what I remember. Do you understand the word of wisdom? Do you understand? Oh, my gosh. And obey. And... and <laughs> That's I gotta remember I guess, this for next time. My answer is going to be like I don't know, and therefore I don't know. <laughs> and, and, and I think that's uh, there has to be personal responsibility. Go back to the very beginning. The whole idea of just tell us what we need to do. I'll come here and give you all of the commandments, and I will save you. So many times we just want it easy. Please tell me, what should I do? What should I not do? And the Lord time and time again says, decide for yourselves. You're agents unto yourselves. And what does that look like? And and for me, perhaps that looks like I don't I don't drink anything caffeinated, or I try to make sure I get enough exercise in the day, or I really push to try to get to bed earlier. Or maybe it looks like that to me. But that doesn't mean that that's the same understanding or how someone else looks at it. And I, I right back to you. I think you said it so well. I'm not going to judge anyone because of it. And and I think that's that's part of the deal. We we need to not be in the one category where we're so overzealous that we look at somebody and say, "Oh, does that does that drink have caffeine in it? What are you what are you doing? Like Mormons don't drink caffeine." Like, well, show me exactly where, what, what are you talking about? Or just because you don't, or I don't, or we don't, let's not be hypercritical of each other and understand that there is a lot of ambiguity here. What you bring the point. What, what do we do about meat when, when the word of wisdom, I mean, it's, it's, it's good enough. We should probably read this verse. Um, Yea, the flesh also of the beasts and of the fowls of the air, I, the Lord, have ordained for the use of man with thanksgiving. Nevertheless, they are to be used sparingly. What does sparingly mean? Does sparingly mean I eat meat three meals a day? I mean, I do. And... It's a good question. And, And I love how he says... Yeah, even back it up, verse 11. And, and there's a few keys in verse 11. Every herb in the season thereof and every fruit in the season thereof, all these to be used with prudence and thanksgiving. And I think prudence and thanksgiving is a vital part of, of the word of wisdom. When we, when we gather to say blessings for our meals, 
I mean, you think about Native American practices and how they did not waste a single piece of that animal and how grateful they were, appreciative that that animal would give its life for them, and they tried not to waste that life. Now, when we sit down and eat, are we telling our kids, oh, there's kids starving in Africa that aren't eating, so you better clear your plate? It's not about kids starving in Africa, I think. I think we should change our attitude a little bit as we approach the meal and look at it with thanksgiving and prudence. Lord, we're grateful for what we have. We're grateful that you know, wheat's not going to be able to harvest or grow because we are taking that grain and, and using its life energy to sustain our life instead. An animal died to feed us. There's yeah, something significant about that. that. There was something, there is something that is, I'm trying to remember, I was just watching something that that was very much like a theme, which is like, we we are thankful that this animal gave its life so that we can sustain ours, you know? Like that's, it, it definitely makes you at least consider some other things. Consider I, more things, I guess. It, it's significant that, that every meal we eat really does revolve around the atonement, the idea that Christ gave his life to sustain ours. And the only way that we survive is by life not surviving. Look at your meal and what you're eating and what died, what what is not going to live, what plant is not going to be able to grow and, and be a plant, what animal is not going to continue to live simply to feed you and keep you alive. Maybe that changes our mindset a little bit. And so our, our prayer at the beginning, our blessing on the food, if you will, isn't just this quick blessing on the prayer, but we really think about it and say, man, I, I'm grateful. And, and because I am grateful, I'm not going to prepare more than is necessary. I, I'm going to try to be conservative about this and, and not eat in excess and, and not waste as much life and as energy than, than what I really need for myself or for my family. I'm going to try to be prudent about this and thanksgiving and grateful and, and bring a little bit more sincerity to my prayers as I'm sitting around the table. Maybe that's a big part of the word of wisdom that we're not focusing on. And as we're talking about the herbs... And verse 16, not 16. Sorry, my my page turned. Um, Verse 11, uh, 10, 10. And again, verily I say unto you, all wholesome herbs God hath ordained for the constitution, nature, and use of man. And, And I think so many times this verse gets quoted, but... But we leave out the word wholesome. All herbs versus all wholesome herbs God hath ordained for the... So if he's making the distinction of wholesome herbs, are there perhaps some herbs that are not wholesome? And he talks about tobacco not being for man, but being for bruises. It's not for the belly, it's for other things. Maybe there's herbs that that are for something that we're misusing or not wholesome in the way that we're applying or not wholesome in the way that we use them. And and maybe there maybe there is wholesome uses. Maybe there are medicinal purposes for some things, but because people are misusing it in a non wholesome way, it finds its way on the unacceptable list of of the word of wisdom, when really it was created for a positive purpose. But because, as you like to say so much, knuckleheads, we we don't get to, <laughs> we we don't get a benefit from the benefit of that herb because sure. so many other people have, have really ruined it for for the rest. Yeah. There's a lot. I mean, that's that's everything, though, right? I mean, they talk about it in a conference all the time. How so many of the most amazing things can also be used for terrible things, too. So yeah. 
Well, to kind but of wrap- I, but for whatever it's worth, I don't. I I have a lot of friends that partake of various herbs that I don't, but I have zero problem with them because it doesn't make them lose their minds and go out and like you know rob somebody or try to kill somebody. You know, <laughs> just saying there's, which is funny because again, alcohol you know, has been the cause of so much heartache and pain and devastation to families and people, you know, yet it's not illegal. And there are certain drugs that are still generally illegal, even though they're being made legal in more places that like the worst thing that happens is people chill out and take a nap, you know, or chill out and sound funny when they're trying to talk to you about the mysteries of the universe i'm just saying there's i'm just like oh man i don't know i and i i get that this a lot of that's just you know personal opinion but i'm just like oh man i i will say i I hope i hope sooner than later marijuana is legal in every single state even if i have nothing to do with it because again even for just medicinal reasons it would be nice to be able to go cool your doctor can prescribe you this instead of some just massive heavy duty you know, opiate that's gonna that's could potentially destroy your life, and and I hope I hope it goes through the right channels to get there. Oh, uh, of course, and of course. and I mean, my my one caveat is this: I, my father in law, amazing guy, loved him. Uh, always fun going fishing with him. He died doing what he loved uh, out on the lake fishing. He had a lot of back problems, or, or so we thought. And, and he was putting off surgery. He was wanting to get it fixed. And, and one day he was out on the, on, out on the lake. He, he used marijuana habitually. Every time I saw him, he, he always was smoking it or, or eating a, a marijuana gummy. or it just That's what he did. And, and I don't blame him. Sometimes around the family, it's a little high strung, you know. He's... he's <laughs> He's he's always out in the barn, mellowed out, and yeah. you know, just a great guy to be with. Um, but come to find out, it, it, he had heart problems, and, and I it, it, he was misdiagnosed. They never caught the heart problems. And the thing about marijuana is, it lowers your your blood pressure yeah, totally, and you're not supposed to be taking it when you have heart issues, right? Totally. But because he's taking it and it's masking the heart issues, they 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 missed it. They never diagnosed it. So while he's out on the lake fishing. The, the the low blood pressure, the problems that he has with the heart, and then the marijuana lowering it even more prevents his body, his 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 heart from being able to pump it into his brain. Yep. Not getting enough blood in his brain, enough oxygen, he just passes out, never wakes up. It's crazy. And so if we if 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 I hear you, to, I, to, I don't disagree. To your point. Doctors can't prescribe something that they can't study. They can't understand it. They can't. And and I'm not saying we should just open it up and everybody should self medicate. I don't think that's the solution. I completely agree. We don't disagree on any of this. Right. Right. I'm just saying how how can we be? It's a complicated, interesting story when government gets involved. Oh yeah, when there's money involved (laughs) with it. To me, this just seems like a no brainer though, because you go. I mean, unless they're still just making. You know, a gazillion dollars from, you know, the black market, you know, drug trade, which, again, I'm sure they do. Whatever. I'm always just I'm always just shocked because you're like, man, even just like the tax revenue from a lot of these things could be so huge. Like, I can't believe government hasn't 
figured out a way to go, ah, oh, this is actually for the betterment of us too, right? And 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 to your point, by the way, we don't prescribe certain drugs to people with low blood or high blood pressure, right? Mm-hmm. There, there are certain there are doctors certain, try to figure out what you're exactly using right. and what can they blend or what can they mix and not mix. Sure. I'm even I'm even just I'm even just saying too like with anything, whether it be like you said, video games or or food or or whatever it is like if we're doing anything to self-medicate to like escape reality or to escape our problems or to you know what i mean to try to like numb numb certain things that we need to probably face head on at a certain point right Mm -hmm. then anything can be an issue and so and that and so my point is like look i'm not by any means suggesting we should all go out and start smoking weed like yeah, right. For some people, that's their thing, and and for, and cool, like whatever. I don't, I don't think as a society that's that that's probably the the most healthy thing in the entire world. All I'm saying is, there's a lot worse things that you could be doing substance wise that that kind of doesn't get poo pooed by the law, you know what I mean, or the commandments. That's that's my only point. I, I again, drug free since 1981. And with no with no future plans, you know, <laughs> right? Changing right. that, you know. Yeah, and I and I and I say a lot of these things too, coming from the same situation as you. And I and I hope this kind of shocks people a little bit, looking at the word of wisdom and understanding. You know, it it was different, and and it's never. There's always been a sense of ambiguity to it, and even to this day, I feel like the church hesitates putting hard limits and hard definitions on everything because that does step into the bounds of where 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 does agency lie? And and it's interesting. And Joseph Smith and Emma Smith, I think it's amazing. You, you look at some of the examples of, of what they did, and I hope that shocks people a little bit and understand maybe we shouldn't be quite so critical on, on some people, and maybe we should be a little bit critical on ourselves and look what outside of what we were thinking the word of wisdom entails are we doing that is actually against that same word of wisdom as you've mentioned. And and having seen, I guess I'll just wrap it up this way because I, I feel like we've spent a lot of time on this word of wisdom, which is good. I think we need to spend some time on it. But if I, But if I were to wrap it up, I, w- I would say one point one. L- let's not be so critical, and the word of wisdom might mean different things to people. Live it according to what you feel you it, it it means to you. What does the word of wisdom mean to you? And be honest with yourself. Don't don't try to lie or deceive. The, well, the word of wisdom means this to me, just so you can get away with something that you know you shouldn't be doing. Be honest with yourself. And then two. As far as um. That two just escaped me. It just went right out the window. One is solid. Two is this. I am grateful for modern prophets who have set some limits or some boundaries. As much as alcohol was, was allowed back then, having seen two friends nearly drink themselves to death and having go visit one in the ER... Having seen my my younger brother hit by a driver who just had a few mild drinks, I am grateful that in different times, with disposable income, with disposable time, with different situations, with heavy machinery, that that some hard limits have been set. 
And if you're in doubt of what the word of wisdom means to you, don't just interpret it based off of what you're seeing literally in the Doctrine and Covenants. Know that we have modern prophets and that if you follow the prophet today, you're not going to go wrong. I guess those are the two points I wanted to make. All right, let's, uh, let's dive into something a little bit different then. Doctrine and Covenants, section 90. And in section 90, there's a few... Um, sorry, just looking at my notes here. There's a few key things I wanted to mention. Okay. First off, Doctrine and Covenants, section 90, as we're going on to the beginning, uh, verse 2, Therefore thou art blessed from henceforth that bear the keys of the kingdom given unto you, which kingdom is coming forth for the last time. So I think it's kind of cool that we've heard that, we know that, it's in scriptures. This is the last dispensation. The kingdom is coming forth for the last time. And and the idea that it will never again leave the earth is reassuring to me. Again, re, reiterating the, the, the idea of following modern prophets today. It says, Verily I say unto you, the keys of this kingdom shall never be taken from you while thou art in the world, neither in the world to come. Nevertheless, through you shall the oracle be given to another. Like, okay, through Joseph Smith, the oracles have been given to another. Who is he going to pass it on to? Yea, even unto the church. And so the entire church receives this this oracle. And, and it says, they who receive the oracles of God. And an oracle is, is kind of like a prophecy, the spirit of prophecy. And I almost kind of think of this as, the keys of the kingdom are given, but part of that is the gift of the Holy Ghost now through the priesthood is given to all of the church. That, Like Moses says, oh, that every man were a prophet. And what is the spirit of prophecy but a testimony of Jesus Christ and having the priesthood authority to give people that gift and to have that is, is very powerful. But there's a, a word of warning here in verse 5, and all they who receive the oracles of God, let them beware how they hold them, lest they account as a light thing and are brought under condemnation thereby and stumble and fall when the storms descend and the winds blow and the rains descend and beat upon their house. So don't take the oracles lightly. Don't don't take having the Spirit as, as something that's not that significant or not that important, I guess is all I'm trying to say. Um, we talked a little, skip a little bit through Sidney Rigdon. Um, maybe, maybe let me go right to the end as we were talking about the idea of the church never leaving the earth. Um, verse 36 and verse 37 at the end of the section. But verily I say unto you that I, the Lord, will contend with Zion and plead with her strong ones and chasten her until she overcomes and is clean before me. I think it's interesting here. Well, let me read this next verse. For she shall not be removed out of her place. I, the Lord, have spoken it. Amen. Again, this idea, Zion's not going anywhere. It's here to stay. The keys are here. The church will stay. This is the last time the kingdom will be here. It's very comforting. But verse 36, who is the Lord contending with? It's not Zion's enemies. But verily I say unto you, I, the Lord, will contend with Zion. Wait, I thought he was supposed to stick up for Zion. I thought he had Zion's back. I thought he was going to go contend with Babylon and go just nuke the enemies, right? I will contend with Zion. And, and I think that's a conversation we've had a few times, the idea that sometimes our hardest trials and tribulations aren't from the devil telling us, go kill someone or go steal something or do something we obviously know is wrong. But the Lord humbling us or chastening us or saying, go and do something that maybe you don't want to do. 
How's that ministering assignment I gave you coming along? How how's uh I, you know, I don't know. How how how's that calling coming for you? The Lord will contend with Zion and and get her clean and get her ready. Okay, I love it. Next. Sorry as I'm bouncing around here. Verse 11. For it shall come to pass in that day that every man shall hear the fullness of the gospel in his own tongue and in his own language through those who are ordained unto the power by the administration of the Comforter shed forth upon them by the spirit of revelation of Jesus Christ. In my mission, we had a, a, a 70 come and speak to us, and he quoted this verse, and that's why I bring this up. Every man shall hear the fullness of the gospel in his own, in his own tongue and in his own language. And when he said that, he said, to me, this means they shall hear the gospel in their own accent. The idea that missionaries will no longer be foreign missionaries, but you will have enough missionaries in the area that they will be preaching to their own people in their own dialect, in their own tongue. So I love that. I thought that was an interesting yeah, way of, I love uh, that. of interpreting that. Verse 15, and set in order the churches uh, and study and learn and become acquainted with all good books and with languages, tongues, and people. Joseph Smith loved languages. If he, he said if he had enough time, he'd learn all the languages in the world. He studied uh, German. He studied Hebrew. He studied Greek. He, st- he studied a lot of different languages. Uh, not something he had enough time for, but something that he liked. Study good books. Get, get educated as best you can. And then verse 18, set in order your houses, keep slothfulness and uncleanliness far from you. And it's interesting, here you are talking to the leaders of the church, and you've got all of these important things that you need them to do, the the, the mercantile, the, the translating the scriptures, the printing press, the organizing of Zion, and everything that you need to do. Oh, and by the way, stay clean and don't be slothful. Make your bed, clean your room. Don't don't lay around and waste time. I need to do better about making my bed. <laughs> Ever since I've been married, it's been made every morning. Well, it's funny. My wife makes it every morning, and she's always like, "Cool, man." So you could do this too, you know. <laughs> I'm like, "But can I? We truly can I? We we have an understanding. Whoever's the last one out of bed usually makes it. So. I mean, that's good. That's I've sh- that's usually me. So I mean, I I I'm shirking my responsibility." <laughs> But there is something to, I mean, going back to the word of wisdom, I know we left that. There is something to bringing order and cleanliness in order to, to do what you're doing and, and not being lazy. I love it. And, and maybe being lazy should be included in the word of wisdom because no, totally how much should. do we uh, idle away our time oh, sometimes totally doing nothing at all? Awesome. Okay. Let's, um, oh, I can't get out of this section without mentioning uh, Sister Vienna. Is it Jacques? I, I don't I'm, Jacques I'm, Jacques I'm sorry I apologize my French is terrible um, her gift she she was financially well off and I don't think she gets enough credit in the church because her her financial contributions um, is, is what the church leaders were able to use to purchase several parcels of land including the temple lot where the temple was going to be built so she had some huge contributions to the early church. I, I just don't feel like she gets enough attention, enough credit for what she did. We, we all remember Joseph Smith and Brigham Young and Heber C. Kimball, but maybe nobody remembers Vienna Jacques, who I slaughtered her name. 
but she she was she was amazing and she's told that she gets an inheritance uh, later on to follow her life she moves to Salt Lake Valley she lives to the age of 96 yeah get it which is pretty phenomenal for that oh yeah that's bonkers <laughs> that would be phenomenal for now but it's phenomenal for now but phenomenal for a time period where they didn't bathe oh yeah oh my god or gosh, wash their hands dude, or not go back to that go. <laughs> I still I still am trying to get that image out of my brain <laughs> all right all right, what are we talking about next week? Wait, 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 wait. Oh, oh, oh. Do, do we still have time? Because we got... We I mean, got... We're, we're, we're... No. What do you got? What do you got for us? Give, okay. us, give us one last awesome thing. We, we've, we've got... <sighs> okay, I'll, I'll, quickly, I'll quickly blow through this. Okay. 91, the Apocrypha. Okay. I don't know how quick I'm going to be, Nate. We're just going to try. All right, let's do it. Okay. A lot of people may or may not know what the Apocrypha is. Joseph Smith translating the scriptures, and that's kind of a question, is the Apocrypha important? For those of you who don't know, here is your brief history lesson on the Apocrypha. When the Bible, okay, back a long time ago, around 323 BC, Alexander the Great stomps all the way across the Near East and conquers everything, including Israel, including Egypt, including Babylon, including Persia just everything. He creates this this first common language, Greek. And because everybody speaks Greek in the entire kingdom and all over the place, they decide to translate the Bible into Greek. So you have the Septuagint, which is the Old Testament in Greek. In the Septuagint copy of the Bible that we have today, there are several books that do not show up in the Hebrew Bible. Now, the Septuagint even though the Old Testament was originally in Hebrew, the Septuagint was older than any of the Hebrew Bibles that we had. The oldest manuscript, complete manuscript, of the Hebrew Bible dates to around 1100 AD, whereas in the oldest Greek is several hundred years older than that. So the Greek Bible was older than the Hebrew Bible, even though Hebrew was the original language for the Old Testament. So in the Greek Bible, you had a couple books that did not show up in the Hebrew Bible. These books became known as the Apocrypha. So when they looked at it, some churches said, hey, this isn't part of the original Hebrew Bible. This is something that somebody added in after the fact. We're not going to take them serious. We're not going to include it in the Bible. So they didn't get included in a lot of Bibles. The Catholic Church includes it in their Bible. So there are some religions that take it. There's some that don't. Joseph Smith asked what to do, um, and this is the revelation where he gets his answer. Verily thus saith the Lord unto you concerning the Apocrypha, there are many things contained therein that are true, and it is mostly translated correctly. There are also many things which therein are not true. Verily I say unto you, it is not needful that the Apocrypha should be translated. Therefore, whoso readeth it, let him understand, for the Spirit manifesteth truth. And whoso is enlightened by the Spirit shall obtain benefit thereof. And whosoever not by the Spirit cannot be benefited. Therefore, it is not needful that it should be translated. So that was kind of his answer on what to do with the Apocrypha. But to kind of bring that uh, one step further, when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, they predated the Septuagint, and it takes it all the way back to almost 200 um, B.C. to 200 A.D., quite a bit older than the Greek and the Hebrew. And in the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Apocrypha books were found. So they said they were included in the original Hebrew Bible. 
but there's also other pseudepigrapha books. So there there are so many books out there, and, and I brought here a little show and tell, even though no one can see. I know no one else can see, but I will um, bear witness that the <laughs> stack of books is as high as his chair. I brought my my uh, my pseudepigrapha, my apocrypha, all of my non-biblical biblical books, if you will, and there are shoot, there are tens of thousands of pages. Oh yeah, and and just to give you an idea, I'll just read some of these books. I'm not going to read the whole book. Obviously, we're out of time here. Whatever, I'm just going to let's go. We're in it now. <laughs> I'm just going to read some of these titles. You've got The Life of Adam and Eve, The Book of the Covenant, The Apocryphon of Seth, The Book of Noah, The Apocryphon of Eber, The Dispute Over Abraham, The Inquiry of Abraham. The Inquirer? Yeah, The Story of Melchizedek with the Melchizedek Legend, The Syriac History of Joseph, Aramaic Levi, The Testament of Job. You've got all of these books, and, and there's just thousands of of pages of these and it's not just the old testament you have you you have the infant gospels the gospel of thomas the gospel of judas that you got all sorts of hundreds of books in the new testament that never made it to the new testament but they were obviously considered um, a sacred text people would cite from them people would quote them they were part of this discussion back and forth the old testament mentions the book of jasher i have here the book of jasher whoa and um, Jasher is not a name. Uh, it, it's Hebrew for upright, the book of the righteous, the book of the upright. So when you read a scripture that says you can't add or take away from the books of the Bible, what would you, what would you say to that person in response? Well, it depends, because like, it says that in Deuteronomy, so that means you would throw away everything after the book of Deuteronomy if you were to take it literally. Yep. But I mean, what is the Bible? What what are you defining as the yep. Bible? Don't, Continue. Don't don't be don't be taking and editing the original Word of God when it says "Thou shalt not kill" to say "Thou shalt kill" all the time. I mean, that's taking away or changing. <laughs> don't 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 change yep. what the Word of God is saying. But know this: that there is the Word of God speaks to people in all times and all over the place, and it is everywhere. And, and for a lot of you out there who say, man, I wish we had the two-thirds portion of the Book of Mormon, or I wish we had all of these other writings, know this, I have right here tens and thousands of pages of writings I just don't think the world today appreciates or realizes out there. And, and some of it you have to take with the grain of salt. Some of it you just have to take with, like, just take the salt bag home and 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 leave the rest of it out. I just, it's like 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 it says here in Doctrine and Covenants, there are many things that are true and accurate. There are many things that are not. And if you have the Spirit, you will get value out of it. If you don't, it's it's just going to confuse you, and it's not going to be of any benefit. I think it's just also healthy to remember and. And to remind everybody, whether they are of our faith or not, that the Bible as we have it has under, undergone so many changes, uh, so many revisions, so many translations, and the fact that it's just those books that are included in the Bible, it, it could have been other books included in the Bible instead of those. I'm just saying, like, there's that's the idea that you would ever think, well, this right here is all that we ever would want to have and all that God would ever want us to have 
is just it you're just ignoring hundreds of thousands of of pages of text that that could have been included in the bible had the decision made at the time that the bible was being organized or, or not yeah i mean it's like it, it it's not up to chance i don't think completely but you know i all i'm saying is is that like some of the books were included because they supported what the the understanding of god was at the time and some were left out because it didn't support kind of what they wanted to push as the as the narrative as the narrative absolutely and and there is evidence that some of the books were edited uh, of you, course. you you see you see instances where they wanted to get away from this polytheistic this this very pagan idea and and any kind of reference to god in a way that looked like it was the, the multiple gods, or or it just big. Well, let's let's clear this up and try to change it. And you can see it exactly right in different manuscripts. So the cool thing about the Hebrew Bible is, yes, you have the most complete version around 1100 A.D. At least until the Dead Sea Scrolls came, but you have fragments of the Bible that date back hundreds of years before that. So you might not have the whole Bible, but I do have here the Book of Isaiah, or I do have here the Book of Daniel. And so if you if you read a Hebrew Bible, you know, in our footnotes, we have cross-references to different scriptures that say something similar. In the Hebrew Bible footnotes, they have cross-references to different manuscripts that say things differently. Wow. So you say, in this manuscript, it said this word. In this manuscript, it used that word. So you can see all of these different manuscripts as it was written by hand. Some have variances or little differences. And and part of Hebrew Bible study is comparing those differences and seeing, okay, what why did they make this change or what did it go with or what tradition did this come from or tra- chasing the gene- genealogy of the Bible. And there is so much value in trying to work your way through that stuff, I believe. And there's a lot of value in also just understanding at least how we got the Bible. So when so when we do have questions or things don't make sense, it's not that it is true or not true or to be taken literally or to not be taken literally, like I know we've kind of joked about in the past. It's that there is like, okay, cool. There is so much more on the periphery of this than just this collection of books, which is why I will continue to preach if those, or if, if you will allow me to, that the Book of Mormon is, is the most powerful witness that Joseph Smith was a prophet and that Jesus is the Christ because it hasn't gone through the same ringer that so many of those ancient texts have. Yeah, absolutely. It's very straight from the mouth. All right, now what are we talking about next week? <laughs> Unless I'm cutting you off again, we keep going. If you're, I mean, if anybody's still with us at this point, they're probably like, I don't know, I'm here, let's keep going. Why, why not? I, I just wondering, because maybe, maybe... I can share just a few fun stories, short, brief stories from the these these manuscripts. Just to we should do we should do it as an like an addendum. I mean, we're almost at eighty minutes. Snap. Yeah. All right. I'll just say <laughs> I, if, we keep teasing it. Maybe you should do a midweek. Maybe you should do a midweek surprise pod. 
I, I'm telling you, you could just do this on your own. You don't even need me there to derail the whole thing. I, I, I'll just say there's cool stories in, in a lot of these things. Like you, you've got you've got Jesus playing with his buddy when he's a kid, and he falls off the roof and dies, and they accuse Jesus of pushing him off. He's like, I didn't push him off. Resurrects the kid. And he's like, tell him. He's like, yeah, no, I fell on my own. He's like, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> And and you got stories of Abraham describing exactly how hot his wife really was. Okay, they, I mean we for sure need a special midweek <laughs> podcast, Jason. There, there's that, a lot if of this cool is the content we're gonna get. There's a lot of cool things out there if you're curious to know. I, I, there's just there's a wealth of information about the the biblical world and extra biblical stories. And and I'll I'll end with this, Nate. I'll 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 okay. fold it up. Um, we are excited to be getting into Old Testament next year. And, and part of that excitement is, I mean, that's that's my degree. I, a lot of people out there listening to our show, maybe you wonder who in the world are these guys and where do they come from? That That, that is my background. I studied ancient Near Eastern studies. I studied uh, German, Hebrew, Ugaritic, Greek, Latin. Uh, that that was my degree in school. So that's, that's where we get excited. Can't wait for Old Testament. We're going to wrap a lot of these stories in, traditions, Jewish, whatever, and, and really... Hopefully, give you guys a lot of a lot of meat to go on when we dive. And we're going to be talking about some baguettes. Yeah, I Uh, will specifically be talking about some baguettes. (laughs) All right, what are we talking about next week, buddy? Next week we're diving into Doctrine and Covenants section ninety-three. We didn't get to ninety-two today. Maybe I'll just mention one thing in a United Order next week when we guy when we go into Doctrine and Covenants section ninety-three. Cool. Uh, Until next week, see ya.